You're listening to the Avenue Church Podcast. Our desire is that this message will inspire you to encounter Jesus and find a better way to do life. For more info and to connect with us, visit us online at theavenuechurch.com. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning. My name it is Josh. That was true. I'm, uh, I'm husband to Kimberly. Uh, and father to our three boys, Caleb, Jesse, and Ezra. And as much as I'm a big fan of all of them, I will tell you, it's a special privilege for me uh, to be here with you this morning and having this opportunity to open up God's Word together. You know, in his prime, uh, my father was um, 6'2", about 250 pounds and strong. I mean, bro was a hoss. And as a kid, I was looking forward to the day when I could take him. <laughs> you know, just push the old man around a little bit. I, I, I had this, this vision. You know, I was going to be 6'3". Hit the gym, maybe 275. And just not let him step to me the way he always did. On my wedding day, I was 5'11". <laughs> barely, barely 155, scrawny. I could tread water in a garden hose. Things, <laughs> things did not go the way I had planned for them to go. I think all of us would have to concede uh, the last 18 months have not been anything any of us saw coming. Almost every facet of our life has been impacted and not, not for the good. The question becomes when things go not the way we wanted is how do we respond? How do we respond to what we've been going through? And, and, and it's not like to vaccinate or not vaccinate. That's not the question. It's not to go and take back the White House. No, the question is, how are we to respond in our souls? What would God have us do with this situation we find ourselves in? That's what I'd like us to look at this morning. Uh, Jesus Christ was dead, and he rose from the grave. That should make a difference in how you and I live our life, whether our lives are meeting our expectations or not. I'll tell you from the start, uh, what we're going to look at isn't, isn't easy. I mean, I may never be invited back, so I'm just going to get after it, you know? It, it's not easy. But I'll tell you, for those of us who are going to wrap our heads around it, it's liberating. Good. It is liberating. So if you would, allow me to pray uh, before we open up God's Word. Heavenly Father... For as much of a gong show the last 18 months have been, Lord, we, I think, we, I take comfort, God, in the fact that it hasn't caught you by surprise. 
I thank you that you are still firmly upon your throne, and you have been. I thank you that you weren't wringing your fists, wondering what was going on. God, give us a heavenly perspective. Give us a trust in you. Lord, I pray that you would help me now with this small part I get to play, what I make no mistakes. Certainly don't want to mess this up. Father, be glorified in us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you've got a device, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to begin at verse 18. And if you're new to this stuff, uh, the, the, the ancient city of Corinth was a thriving and, and cosmopolitan city. And those that lived in Corinth, they knew it. They thought that they were something because of where they got to live. And this man named Paul, a man who would go on to be the greatest missionary the church has ever had, uh, brought the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Corinthians. And he preached this crucified Messiah to whom he expected all those in Corinth to bend their knee to. And it didn't sound any less crazy back then than it may today to some of us. Paul starts with calling them to recognize their failure. We need to recognize our failure. Look at verse 18, chapter 1. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Right before Easter, uh, you went through this kind of series looking at the different eyewitness accounts, right, to Jesus Christ, death and resurrection. Ultimately, all of humanity boils down into one of two categories. Each and every one of us is either perishing or not perishing. The only options we've got, perishing, not perishing, and which one you're in is dependent on on whether you think a crucified Messiah is foolishness or whether you would say, no, 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 that's the power of God. In the first century, to preach a crucified Messiah was foolishness. Crucifixion was reserved for the worst of the worst criminals. A Roman citizen was not even allowed to be crucified. So to speak of a crucified Messiah was in and of itself an oxymoron. How does that make any sense? But though it doesn't make human sense, I mean, that doesn't mean it didn't happen. And and just because we might not get it, well, it doesn't mean it's not true. Our problem as people is that we often think we know better than God. We've got, we've got some things figured out, and he just needs to catch up. Paul goes on to quote an Old Testament prophet named Isaiah as an example of this. Look at verse 19. Paul writes, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. And this comes from a, a rather embarrassing, tragic time in ancient Israelites' history. Israel was being threatened by the pagan nation of Assyria in the north. They, they were 
They were threatening to come. So Israel had a problem. But instead of humbling themselves and crying out to God and looking to God for help, they think it would be more expedient to turn to Egypt and broker an alliance with Egypt and to say, hey, would you guys help us? The Assyrians are coming. From a human standpoint, that's good. Assyria bigger, we small, them huge, let's join up. Unfortunately, that alliance triggered the very fight they were trying to avoid once the Assyrians saw them mounting their defense. They're like, let's take them now. And they did. Human wisdom. Human wisdom ended up not being so wise. Paul's point is, our ways, our wisdom does not always work out the way we think it will. He goes on to say in verse 20, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. He asks this series of rhetorical questions. Basically saying, where, where are all your people who've got it all figured out? And then the subtle kind of dig question is, how's it working for them? Where are all the ones? Raise your hand if you got it all figured out. And how is that working? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And what Paul is trying to get them to recognize is actually way more powerful for us. Because we've, we've had another 2,000 plus years of human history try, to try to sort this stuff out. I mean, for all of our accomplishments, for all of our advances... Can I just be blunt? Don't you think we'd be further along? I mean, do you think that we've arrived? Do you think that everything is now right in the world? When you last weekend were talking about busyness, how many of us were like, what is he talking about? Where is that coming from? <laughs> Even with an additional 2,000 years to sort stuff out, we are as still as jacked up as we ever were. <laughs> We've got issues. And understandably, with as many of us as is in this room, at the other campus, watching online... Maybe a crucified Messiah does not make much sense to you. But have the things that do make sense, has it solved all your problems? Are you concerned free? God's wisdom is not ours, and wisdom, our wisdom, I'm sorry, has not worked. We need to recognize our failures. We need to concede our wisdom is not as wise as we thought it was. 
and that our ways have failed to bring us the life and the security that we've wanted. Unless you have confessed Christ as Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, unless you've asked him to forgive you your sins, you're perishing. But if you've placed your trust in him, you're not. We need to acknowledge our desires. Look at verse 22. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. The Jews demanded signs. The Greeks sought wisdom. And for the Jews, it was understandable. Every Israelite boy or girl grew up hearing these miraculous stories of God's deliverance, bringing the people out of Egypt, pillars of fire, clouds of smoke, sea-splitting, awesome, powerful, dramatic, cool things. So understandably, when they thought of their Messiah, they thought he was going to roll up powerful, not crucified. For Greeks, the Greeks wanted wisdom. They studied rhetoric. They liked logic. They wanted a worldview that made sense. And a crucified Messiah did not. Read in verse 24, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Thing is, there were some Jews and there were some Greeks who began to connect the dots. It's something that God does. He calls them and they began to see it, had their little matrix moment when everything became clear. They realized that God's weakness was actually even greater than human strength. They saw that God's foolishness was greater than human wisdom. And back then, as it is today still, they were ridiculed for it. See, in the world's eyes, Jesus was and still is the loser. He was crucified. But in my view, and I think in the view of many of us, Jesus is the one who accomplished what we could not do for ourselves. We as people tend to see power as strength, but God sees power as effectiveness. We tend to see wisdom as that which makes sense, but God sees wisdom as that which works. We may not be Jews or Greeks today, but we actually still desire some of the very things they looked for. We still value power, right? There's not many of the young men among us hoping that I'm never strong enough to take down dad. I just want to be shorter. No, no, we still aim high. We still want to be successful. We still desire signs, Have you ever said, if God is true, why doesn't he show himself? Have you found yourself ever being like, God, okay, I believe this, but why don't you do this to prove it to me? And we still cherish wisdom. We want a worldview that makes sense to us. And I suspect that for some of you, Some of you have actually used the last 18 months 
to support your pre-existing narrative that there isn't a God, because if there was, he'd pick up the clue phone and see what's going on and have done something a little earlier than he did. The problem is, all of these kinds of desires, they reveal our longing for control. But the truth of the matter is, we don't have it. We don't have the control we long for. And I guess if there's any silver lining, this problem, I mean, this is as old as humanity itself. Adam and Eve were chilling and grilling in the garden in person with God. Everything was awesome. God said, just don't eat that tree's fruit. Everything else is fair game. Have at it. But what did the serpent come and say? How did the serpent have to twist? How did the serpent have to convince? All he had to say is, well, you know, God doesn't want you to eat that because when you do, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. That was it. That's all it took. I mean, this place is pretty good, but if we can be like him, that's better. And they bit. And sin entered the world. And even if you doubt that narrative, you are very, very familiar with its impact. Because everyone here knows you all die. You ever watch Lord of the Rings? Ever make it down to Texas? hands? Maybe not. You know, I think a lot of us watch that. And we want to think of ourselves as Frodo. Yeah, I'd like to be taller. Uh, I want to have better feet. But for all the characters in the series, there's only the one that really took the ring and was willing to have the power destroyed. That's awesome. The drag is, and maybe speaking more for myself, but I suspect some of us are in the same boat. We're more like Smeagol. If we had that chance to have the power, I think I'd hang on and never let it go. We need to acknowledge our desires. We need to acknowledge that what we want and do not have bothers us. And we need to admit our need. Look at verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. If you're new, this was actually originally a letter. It was a letter written to the church at Corinth, and it would have at first been read out publicly. 
And so you can imagine at that part, when that's read, your buddy elbowing, you'd be like, I think he's slamming us. I, this, he, he's, he's slamming us. You, you, you were not wise. You weren't powerful. You weren't of noble birth. Paul is going to use them, the Corinthians, as an example of the point he's trying to make. He's trying to get them to remember. He's trying to get them to consider that moment when they were first called, that moment they first believed. And then he's asking the question, what were you? Were you wise? Were you powerful? Were you, were you noble in the world's eyes? Some were, right? Paul, Paul's really clear, not many. Some were wise in the world's eyes. Sure, some some were powerful. Some were of noble birth, but not many. By and large, they were considered foolish in the world's eyes, weak by the world's standards, low and despised in the world's estimation. And to be clear, Paul's not saying, but they just don't know who you are. They just got to get to know you. He's not suggesting that there's some sort of like Clark Kent, very pedestrian looking on the outside, but deep down a superhero. No, Paul's actually saying, y'all not awesome. You're actually not all you think you are. The majority of them were not social media influencers. The majority did not have YouTube channels. They were not the powerful people that the world looked up to and wanted to be. And fact of the matter, neither are the majority of us. To be blunt, think of the millions upon millions upon millions of people who have already died. Those that have gone before us. How many of them do you actually know? I mean, how many of us actually even know the first names of our great-grandparents? The brutal reality is in the scope of all of humanity. We're not going to be that great. We will try. We're going to try to be loved by family, friends. We're going to try to have a positive impact. But in the final estimation of things... You and I will be forgotten. And the thing is, that is actually tremendously liberating when you wrap your head around it. Our church in Colorado, we're in Colorado Springs, just south of Denver, a multi-site like you guys are, we have five campuses. And as you were to go into any of our campuses, you would, you would be like, oh, this is, this is Woodman. It feels like a, there's a similar vibe. But one campus, one campus is really uniquely different. Easy to get into, hard to get out, because that campus is in the Arkansas Valley Correctional Facility in Ordway, Colorado. And the thing about it 
is that campus has one distinct advantage over all of the others. Each man there knows he's in prison. Each man there knows that he has lost his freedom. Each man there knows that he is not control. Each man there knows he's got nothing to boast about. What is so difficult for those of us on the outside to admit, neither do we. Sure, from the earthly perspective, we have things that set us apart others. Some of you are more talented at playing instruments than some of you. Uh, some of you have bigger houses than other people, larger bank accounts. But from the heavenly perspective, each and every one of us are people like Adam and Eve who chose to turn from the God who made us and embrace sin instead. And every one of us needs somebody to save us. And that is why the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Look, I've never been incarcerated. I've visited Ark Valley many a time. But make no mistake about it, I too was a prisoner. I was a prisoner to my own sin and my own desires. But because of Jesus, now I'm not. I am not the slave to sin I once was. The world and all of its wisdom has not solved the problems we face. This world and all of its desires have still not satisfied the longings of our hearts. And as much as I'd like to tell you it's different, as much as it runs counter to the self-sufficiency, I think we all want to tell ourselves we have. I can admit it. I need help. Do you? I mean, how's your thing working? The desires you have, do you wake up the next morning and think, really, that actually did it. I'm awesome now. Do you need to admit your need? The foolish answer The foolish answer is actually the correct one. We need to trust in Jesus. Look at verse 30. He goes, he is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You may think I'm foolish. I realize it. But for me, Jesus was my only option. And I tried other stuff. And it just didn't work. Jesus is the only one who could reconcile me to the God who made me. Jesus is the only one who could give me the peace 
I so desperately sought. Paul uses these big theological words that we're probably not going to banter about in the days ahead, but they're so true. And you could say it if you know Christ as Lord. You could say this for, for, for you. I can say for me, Jesus is my righteousness. That is, when God looks at me, when God looks at any of you who've confessed Christ as Lord, do you know what God the Father sees? He sees the perfection and the righteousness of Jesus. No matter what you did on Monday, no matter what you've been doing for the last four months, God the Father can see nothing else when he looks at you. Those of us, the redeemed sons and daughters of God, he sees the perfection and righteousness of Christ, and he's a big fan. He is my righteousness. I get his righteousness because of what he did for me, and he is my sanctification. And that's a theological word for the truth that God is changing me. Jesus is changing me. I am not the man I used to be. You can ask my wife. But I'll tell you still, I'm not the man I hope to one day be. I'm on a journey. And what you need to know is it's not me doing the heavy lifting. Obviously, I work out, but I'm not talking about putting in a ton of effort. No, no, it's Jesus Christ in us. If you've confessed Christ as Lord, he is fully aware you're going to fall down. And he's the one who's going to bring you back up and say, we're still going. You say, well, how do I know he's not done with me? You're not dead. That journey ends when we stand before him face to face and we're free of this body of sin, free of the failures, free of all the guilt, free of all the I wish I could do it again. He is my righteousness. He is my sanctification. And he is my redemption. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. Jesus purchased me with his blood. Jesus bought me. Jesus looked at all humanity. Saw me. Said, I'll take that one. And you know, some of you across these rooms, you know Jesus bought you too. And you weren't sheep. But with his blood, he saw. He saw you and he purchased you. He is our redemption. And because of that, my life is no longer bound up anymore in what I think I can do or what I think I need to get done. The only thing, the only thing in me that's got any merit that I could boast about is what Jesus Christ did for me. That's it. Look, I am confident. I am 100% confident that I will spend eternity with Jesus. And that's a long time because I've placed my trust in him. Have you done that? Again, unless you've unless you've confessed that Messiah who was crucified on your behalf as Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead. 
unless you've asked him to forgive you your sins. Mama, grandma, they can't do it for you unless you've done that. You're perishing. But if you have placed your trust in him, if you do believe your eternity is secure, then don't you think he could handle Tuesday? It always sort of amazes me that the redeemed people of God who believe beyond shadow of doubt that one day either I'm going to die and be ushered into his presence or we believe, don't we, that the heavens will part, Jesus is going to return, there's trumpets and angels and we're going to be changed in a blink of an eye with new glorious heavenly bodies to be with him forever. Do you believe that? I think he's okay with next Friday. The God who can do that is the God who can get us through no matter what this world throws at us. Because our trust is not in and of ourselves, but in him and who he is. You know, when I was nine years old, my birthday was coming up and and I wanted a bike. And I was very explicit and clear about the particular bike I wanted. And I wake up, birthday morning, and I kind of come down the stairs. I don't know about your house, but like, it was like the hugs. Big dad, small kid, hey, happy birthday, son. My mom, happy birthday, honey. I'm like, thank you. I'm sort of, it's hard to hide a bike, you know. <laughs> I'm like, Where, where's the bike? And she said, oh, are you, oh, you're probably looking for your bike. Well, what, what we thought we'd do is, I thought we would, we'd have breakfast together as a family. And then once we're done, we'll go out and see if we can't find you a bike. And I mean, it's probably not my finest hour, but I remember like little nine-year-old Josh being kind of super ticked. You've had a year. (laughs) I've been, I've been fairly clear. And I had like an angry breakfast. And then mom was like, okay, we're done. And dad said, let's go. I'll open the garage. And I remember walking outside and still take you back to the same place. The sixth Breckenwood Crescent and the garage started to open. And then I saw the bottom of the tires and there was that stupid bike sitting right there. And I remember in my like enthusiasm, I remember being so dumb. I was like, are we still going out? (laughs) My mom's like, no, silly. Get on there. Take off. I think some of you woke up this morning and you didn't need me to tell you that your thing wasn't working. I think some of you woke up this morning and you have regret for things you did last night, regret for the things you did two weeks ago that you cannot shake. I think some of you woke up this morning and you have to concede your wisdom's not all that smart. And that the desires you have, no matter what you do and how ardently you pursue them, don't satisfy. I'm telling you, the answer is closer than you think. It's not in the garage. It's right in here, right in this room. The spirit of the living God is present. And I wonder if you need to trust in him. 
one of the most curious things that Jesus ever said was when he told his disciples, it's actually to your advantage that I go. Think about that. Have you ever thought life would be easy if Jesus was just in the passenger seat all the time? Jesus, left or right, left or right, left or right. Okay, left, let's do it. If you ever thought this life would be better if Christ was in the flesh beside you, Jesus would look at you and he looks at me when we think that and he says, you're actually wrong. It's to your advantage that I go because if I go, the spirit of the living God has come. And if you've confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he's in you. There are only two choices before us. It's perishing or not perishing. Have you chosen wisely? And what would it look like for you to make a better decision today? Listen, I get it. The, the, the church calendar seems to kind of follow the, the, the regular one, right? I mean, you go from three services to two. People are not, you know, it's just summer. But you know, that command to go make disciples, that command to present everybody mature in Christ, none of those things we see in scripture are seasonal. You have as much opportunity today to reach out to a pastor, to reach out to a friend, make better choices and place your trust in Christ. I wonder how many of us need to do just that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, forgive me for the many, 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 many times that I've chosen foolish things. And to my great shame, I knew they were actually foolish before I did them. But thank you, God, for showing us your great love in that while we were yet still sinners, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. God, I would love to think that somebody across these campuses would embrace you as Lord for the first time. But God, I got to imagine a lot of us have been trying to sort of hybrid this deal by doing our thing with sort of a Jesus in our back pocket. I pray that we trust in you, live the life you've called us to live. Give us hope that the God who sits upon his throne will never leave us or forsake us. Because of him, we've got this. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us today. Our hope is that this message inspires you to encounter Jesus and find a better way to do life. We'd love to hear from you and get you connected on your journey. Visit theavenuechurch.com slash connect to get started. To hear the latest from us, don't forget to subscribe. See you soon.